Welcome to order. Welcome to the June 8th, 2023 regular meeting of the Public Safety and Neighborhood Services Committee. I am Supervisor Catherine Stephanie, Chair of the Committee. To my right is Vice Chair Engardio, and to my left is Supervisor Dorsey. The clerk is Ms. Erica Major, and I'd like to thank Jaime Echeverry at SFGov TV for staffing this meeting. Madam Clerk, do you have any announcements? Yes, thank you, Madam Chair. The Board of Supervisors and its committees are convening hybrid meetings that allow in-person attendance and public comment while still providing remote access and public comment via telephone. The board recognizes that equitable public access is essential and will be taking comment as follows. Public comment will be taken on each item on this agenda. Those attending in person will be allowed to speak first and then we'll move to our remote call in line. When connected, you will hear the meeting discussions, but you will be muted and in listening mode only. When your item of interest comes up and public comment is called, those joining us in person should line up to the right near the curtain wall and those on the telephone line should press star three to be added to the queue. If you're on your telephone, please remember to turn down your television and all listening devices you may be using. Alternatively, you may submit written comment to the Clerk of Public Safety and Neighborhood Services at john.carroll at sfgov.org. You may also send your written comments via U.S. Postal Service to our office at City Hall. The address is 1 Dr. Carlton B. Goodlett Place, room 244, San Francisco, California, 94102. Finally, items acted upon today are expected to appear on the June 27th, 2023 agenda unless otherwise stated. Madam Chair. Thank you, Madam Clerk. Will you please call the first item? Yes, item number one is a hearing to consider the issuance of a Type 90 on-sale general music venue liquor license to Qualia Entertainment to do business as Arena SF located at 2565 Mission Street in District 9. Members of the public who wish to provide public comment, now is your time to press star three, and you'll hear the system indicate you have raised your hand in confirmation. Madam Chair. Thank you, Madam Clerk. I'd like to welcome Officer Salmonson from the SFPD ABC Liaison Unit. <coughs> Good to see you again. Good morning, thank you. Okay, uh, you have before you PCN for Qualia Entertainment Inc. They've applied for a Type 90 license, and if approved, this would allow them to operate an on-sale general music venue. There is one letter of protest, uh, zero letters of support, they're located in plot 444, which is considered a high crime area. They're in census tract 20801, which is considered high saturation. Mission station has no opposition and alcohol liaison unit recommends approval with the following conditions. Uh, number one, that the petitioner shall actively monitor the area under their control in an effort to prevent the loitering of persons on any property adjacent to the licensed premise as depicted on ABC two, uh, 253 form. Uh, number two, that entertainment provided shall not be audible at any nearby residence or consideration point. And uh, number three, between the hours of 7 p.m. and 2 a.m., or at any time the premise, premises are providing entertainment, the petitioner shall provide at least one uniform security guard on the premise and shall maintain order therein and prevent any activity which would interfere with the quiet enjoyment of their property by nearby residents or the surrounding community. The licensed uniform security guard must be licensed by the State of California Department of Consumer Affairs. Thank you. Thank you. Seeing nobody on the roster, Madam Clerk, are there representatives of the applicant present? Yes. Thank you, Madam Chair. My name is Mark Rennie. I'm representing today Quali Entertainment, Inc. This is, they've been doing business as Arena SF. They're part of the Arena Nightlight Group that has in California approximately five or six very successful venues. 
it caters primarily to a uh, young, college-educated, Asian-American crowd. But uh, we're fine with the police conditions. Um, this is, there's absolutely no change in the operation. What, what this allows, however, is people under 21 can come in the premises. So we um, have applied for a Type 90 music venue license. You'll probably see a, a, a lot more of these. I'm sure Slim's Great American Music Hall, a lot of these venues will be getting Type 90s because it, it sort of takes the food element and most of them are supposedly operating with a Type 47 license, which is a bona fide eating place slash restaurant license. And so, you know, it's, it's been a problem for most of the licenses. Senator Weiner passed this new Type 90 and we're hoping that you'll uh, approve this today. Thank you. I don't see any questions um, from my colleagues, so uh, Madam Clerk, uh, can we open public comment, please? Thank you, Madam Chair. Are there any members of the public who would like to speak on item number one? Please approach the podium. Seeing none, we'll move to a remote call-in line. We have zero callers in the queue, Madam Chair. Thank you, Madam Clerk. Public comment is now closed. Still seeing no questions from my colleagues. So at this time, uh, I know that um, the district supervisor is supportive, so I would now like to move that the clerk prepare a resolution making a determination that the issuance of a Type 90 on-sale general music venue liquor license to the applicant would serve the public convenience or necessity. May we take this motion without objection and then send this resolution to the full board with positive recommendation. And on that motion, Supervisor Dorsey? Dorsey, aye. Supervisor Ingardio? Aye. Ingardio, aye. Supervisor Stephanie? Aye. Stephanie, aye. You have three ayes. Thank you, Madam Clerk. And will you please call the next item? Yes. Item number two is a hearing to consider that the person-to-person, premises-to-premises transfer of a Type 21 off-sale general beer, wine, and distilled spirits liquor license to the Epicurean Trader, doing business as the Epicurean Trader, located at 2240 Mark Market Street in District 8, will serve the public convenience or necessity of the city and county of San Francisco. Members of the public who wish to provide public comment, now is your time to press star three, and the system will indicate that you have raised your hand in confirmation. Madam Chair. Thank you, Madam Clerk. We'd like to welcome back Officer Salmonson. Thank you. Okay, the Epicurean Trader has applied for a Type 21 license, and if approved, this would allow them to operate an off-sale general premise. There are zero letters of protest, zero letters of support, they're located in plot 280, which is considered a low crime area. They're in census tract 169, which is considered a high saturation area. Mission station has no opposition. And alcohol liaison unit recommends approval with the following condition, that the petitioner shall actively monitor the area under their control in an effort to prevent the loitering of persons on any property adjacent to the licensed premise as depicted on ABC 2534. Thank you. Do we have representatives of, from the applicant present? I don't see any at this time and no questions from my colleagues. Madam Clerk, can we open public comment, please? Yes, thank you, Madam Chair. Are there any members of the public who would like to provide public comment in the chamber for item number two? Seeing none, we will move to remote call-in line. We have zero callers in the queue, Madam Chair. Thank you, Madam Clerk. Public comment is now closed. Again, um, I know that the District 8 Supervisor, Supervisor Mandelman, is supportive, so I would now like to move that the clerk prepare a resolution making a determination that the issuance of a person-to-person, premises-to-premises transfer of a Type 21 off-sale general beer, wine, and distilled spirits liquor license to the applicant would serve the public convenience or necessity. 
May we take this motion without objection and send this resolution to the full board with positive recommendation. And on that motion, Supervisor Dorsey? Dorsey, aye. Supervisor Engardio? Engardio, aye. Supervisor Stephanie? Aye. Stephanie, aye. You have three ayes. Thank you, Madam Clerk. And can you please call the next two items together? Yes, item number three is a hearing on the Sheriff's Department staffing levels, and item number four is a resolution, re resolution urging the San Francisco Department of Human Resources to explore ways to adopt policies to match top recruitment bonuses offered by law enforcement agencies in Northern California that compete for new and laterally hired police officers and sheriff deputies. Members of the public who wish to provide public comment on this item should press star three now. You'll hear the system indicate that you have raised your hand in confirmation. Madam Chair. Thank you, Madam Clerk. Um, before I turn this over to Supervisor Dorsey for his part in this, I, I just want to express my appreciation to him for addressing the issue alongside with Vice Chair Ngardio and Supervisor Mandelman. In January of 2020, I be began to initiate the conversation in earnest with the Department of Human Resources and the San Francisco Police Department. At that hearing, we discussed many of the same things that I'm sure my colleague will highlight today, including the importance of a competitive salary, retention incentives, and streamlining the hiring process. Shortly after the hearing that I held, an independent study on police staffing levels revealed that the police department needed to recruit 330 officers to meet the demand for services at that time. Over time, the need has increased to over 500 officers and will continue to grow at an alarming rate, according to Police Chief Bill Scott. Today, I am interested in learning more about the plan to hire additional officers and how we will address the demand for service now that we have passed one of the most comprehensive police department MOUs I have seen during my time in City Hall. There's still work to be done, however. Likewise, the same applies to our jails. Once again, I want to thank Supervisor Dorsey for addressing the staffing levels at the Sheriff's Department as well. Uh, my hearing will cover um, this as well today. I share in his concerns, and it's why I did call for the hearing and really want to look at how the sheriff's staffing challenges are impacting rehabilitation programs in our jails. We just had a press conference about this earlier, and I think it's really important that we have staffing levels that meet the demand to help those that are incarcerated. Inadequate staffing levels within the sheriff's department can lead to increased strain on existing resources resulting in delayed response times and limited access to essential rehabilitative services. This not only hampers the well-being of people who are incarcerated, but also places additional burdens on other systems and functions the Sheriff's Department is responsible for. Jails play a vital role as a default provider of social services for one of the city's most underserved populations. And if we want to be serious about reducing recidivism, then we need to be sure that sufficient resources are in place that will help us do just that. With that, um, I'd like to turn this over now to Supervisor Dorsey. Thank you, Chair. Thank you, Chair Stephanie. Um, and I want, to I want to express my appreciation to my colleague, um, Supervisor Stephanie, for her longtime leadership on these issues. And I, I think San Francisco uh, seems to be demanding change in the, some of the issues that you have been uh, too often a lone voice for out there. I hopefully now uh, I think um, more and more people are recognizing that we are in, in my view, a, an historic um, period of time when it comes to the competitive environment we have for law enforcement personnel. Um, my first job here in San Francisco was working for the district attorney of, Arlo, uh, of, of San Francisco, Arlo Smith, 
back when he was running for state attorney general. I worked in his office in 19, I was actually, I managed his reelection campaign in 91 and worked in his office. So um, then 14 years in the city attorney's office, two years in the police department. So a lot of my career has been in and around law enforcement agencies. Um, the competitive environment for law enforcement personnel that we are in now is, in my view, an entirely predictable crisis. And we should have done more and better as a city uh, when we saw this coming. We have known since the Clinton administration that we are looking at a disproportionately large generational cohort of police officer and sheriff and other law enforcement uh, personnel um, who were hired during a time when the federal government was giving a lot of support to local law enforcement agencies for hiring. Um, it is almost a perfect storm because we are now facing uh, retirements from that disproportionately large generational cohort at a time when younger people aren't really pursuing these careers. That puts us in a competitive place. When I talked to um, our deputy city attorney about what we might do as a board of supervisors to address this, um, especially looking at some of the recruitment bonuses that other jurisdictions were offering, what I was told was that this is under the charter, the, the purview of DHR, and I think that's fine. And I think there are some things that we're looking at, um, actually with my colleagues here, um, that may give us a little more latitude through a charter amendment to uh, empower the law enforcement agencies themselves to have more latitude on this. But what I was told by the city attorney is that the best way to do this would be a resolution, which would urge the uh, Department of Human Resources to explore ways to adopt policies. And one of the things that I really do wanna emphasize on this is this resolution is, I wanna make sure that it allows latitude to the city departments that have responsibility for doing this. Um, it is not overly prescriptive and it doesn't intend to be. But one thing that I do think is important um, is that it's not just the money. When we see a city like Alameda that is offering a $75,000 recruiting bonus, when San Francisco is offering a $5,000 recruiting bonus, it's more than the money, it is the symbolism that the city and county of San Francisco doesn't value the contributions of law enforcement personnel in the way that neighboring jurisdictions do. Um, so this resolution that I appreciate the uh, co-sponsorship of uh, Chair Stephanie and Vice Chair Engardio, as well as uh, Supervisor Mandelman, um, walks through some of the issues that we are facing, that I have talked about, um, and then just resolves, that is asking DHR to explore ways to adopt a policy that would automatically match. In other words, something along the lines of a best buy price match guarantee to end the arms race a little bit, and just to, to make some kind of assurance to those who are considering where they want to pursue their law enforcement careers because we want to compete better for those folks, whether they're going to the sheriff's department or the police department or fire department or any, any place in San Francisco. I want to make sure that the city and county of San Francisco is an attractive employer and we should be doing everything we can and spending our money wisely to do that. And by the way, I would also say we can't afford not to do that. Um, this is a city that is uniquely premised on being welcoming whether it's to conventions, whether it's to commuters, whether it's to retail, retail shoppers, we wanna make sure that uh, we have a strong, uh, vibrant economy and that is premised on being a welcoming, safe city that is free of uh, criminal conduct and, and public nuisances. 
Um, so the, the one thing that I wanted to do is to make a motion. Um, I hope it's not premature to do this, but there are a couple amendments. Is, is Chair, was it okay to, or should we wait for the hearing? You could make the motion. We just can't act on it until after public comment. Okay. So why don't I just to get, get it out of the, the, the way. Um, I wanted to make a motion to make two minor amendments to this resolution. Um, one is on page six, line 23. Um, the number seven has been corrected to 73. Um, and the final further resolved clause on page eight has been separated into two clause. I think that just for clarity, um, it previously listed five agencies together and now the police department and police commission are listed separately. The sheriff's department and the sheriff's department oversight board are listed separately. So they was, were for clarity's sake, just split into something that was a little more coherent of a, a sentence and uh, my apologies for that lack of clarity. So that's, let's have that, if I could make um, the motion for that, that we will take up later. And with that, um, I just again appreciate the leadership of uh, Chair Stephanie and Vice Chair and Guardio and appreciate your co-sponsorship of this and just my appreciation for your leadership on these issues generally. Thanks so much. Thank you, Supervisor Dorsey. Madam Clerk, do you have any questions as to the amendment? I know that they, it was passed out to us, so I'm not sure if you have a copy, but I received a copy, thank okay, you. Okay, great. Um, are there any questions or do you have any questions that you want to ask of our depart department representatives? I don't have any specific questions, but I would welcome the I would welcome whoever from the sheriff's department and police department would like to um, address if there's any concerns you have about this. Again, understanding that um, what I'm asking is for the 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 departments that have roles to play in this. Um, if there, I don't have any specific questions, but if there's any input that you'd like to offer to this, um, I'd welcome it. Thank you, and I just want to be clear so we know. Uh, Supervisor Dorsey, I apologize. I thought you were going to be introducing them. So we have Nicole Jones, I believe, the Acting Deputy Chief with the um, Administrative Bureau with the San Francisco Police Department. Hello, welcome. We have Sheriff Miyamoto here. Thank you, Sheriff, for being here. And um, we also have um, from the Department of Human Resources, um, I think... Uh, there you all are. Thank you. Um, so we, we do have people to answer questions. I do see Supervisor... Engardio, Vice Chair Engardio, on the roster, so I'll um, have you say some words. And then I, I do have questions, too. I just wanted to make sure that we were going about it. No, go ahead. You're fine. Thank you. Um, so I have some questions for, well, I guess, uh, who's re uh, representing the Sheriff's Department and the Police Department, because um, one of the resolves urges both the police the police and sheriffs to develop plans for achieving uh, the full staffing levels that we need. And w one thing that I've often talked about is we can throw a lot of money at the issue, but if people aren't willing to apply to be a sheriff's deputy or be a police officer, you know, that's the, the, the central problem. And what can we do? Now, now, personally, as an elected official, I've been doing everything I can to talk about the noble aspect of these professions and that we're leaders in reform. Uh, I've visited all the um, police officers in the Terrible Station, and in my supervisor newsletter, I try to do feature stories to highlight 
their story. So, so residents get to know who they are and why they're police officers and what's their motivation for their work and hopefully recruit others to be inspired to do that. So I'm just wondering what thought have you put, in, have you put into this changing the narrative uh, that currently exists where it's not cool or it's not, uh, no, that, that young people don't want to be police officers or sheriff's deputies. And maybe, because I guess if we don't address that issue, I don't know if the money is going to help. So I'm just curious if you've thought about that. Hi, I'm Commander Nicole Jones from the police department. So to your point, um, our entire recruitment campaign is centered on be the change, right? So we, that is what we want to put out. We don't want to do business as usual anymore. So our recruitment campaigns and advertisements right now are all geared towards more community focus. And, you know, of course, everybody's going to put out all of their toys on their advertisements and their SWAT team and their dogs and their horses and their boats. And those are all reasons why some people want to join this specific agency. But we're trying to change that. We want people to join because we want them to serve this community. In terms of plans, so we actually have two um, things going right now to really hone in on what a specific strategic plan is going to be in terms of recruitment for the police department. We're working with the controller's office, and this is a collaborative effort between SFPD and DHR um, to come together and help us really put some performance metrics in place and dial in what we're trying to do and how we're going to do it. And we also recently just brought on board all-star talent which is a recruitment firm that we got funding for in the last budget cycle. We're thankful that our RFP process is finally done and they're going to be helping us really, again, put pen to paper on what the specific plans are. We have a lot of things that we've been doing regardless. In the meantime, we have a lot of ways that we track success, but ultimately what we're looking at is application numbers, like how are we getting people through the door? But to your point, we agree, there needs to be a very solidified plan. We have hiring targets and we need to outline the things that we're gonna do to get there. And those are the two things we've done so far. Great, thank you. Maybe hear from the sheriff too. Yes, good morning, Supervisor. Good morning, Chair and uh, Supervisor Dorsey. I uh, appreciate the opportunity to discuss this with you. Um, part of our strategic plan, as was mentioned uh, by the commander, is very similar uh, to what the police department is doing. We have a strategic plan which highlights and specifies our recruitment efforts uh, to focus on community-based efforts. Uh, we have a spin-up of our community engagement team, which is mirrored along the lines of what we've previously seen in other agencies. Uh, having people identified that are specifically going out into the community not to recruit but to become a part a larger part of the community uh, to dispel some of those uh, to dispel some of the negativity around our profession and also to highlight and exemplify the very uh, characteristics that you mentioned that are a part of our profession uh, we've also asked for a significant portion of our budget to reflect our recruiting efforts. Uh, we were supported last year and we look forward to being supported again in this year's budget process. Uh, we've reached out not just to uh, our partners uh, in the community, but also uh, at our level, at the chief level, uh, speaking with Chief Scott and Chief Nicholson. We were looking to uh, coming to DHR with a plan on encouraging people to enter into public safety. So not just the siloed singular efforts that our agencies do, but also a collective effort to recruit people into public safety as a path for a career and uh, to give back to the community. Uh, our numbers, uh, we've been very fortunate, although we are down uh, significantly, 
uh, our numbers in terms of applications and people that are in our background process currently, uh, which lead up to our hiring. Uh, our numbers are keeping us very even with our current status. In fact, I think we're gonna come out ahead a few, a few bodies by the end of the year, in the end of this month. So we're looking forward to building on that momentum and continue, continuing that momentum into the next fiscal year. Great, and, and Sheriff, have you put much thought into educating people about what a sheriff does? Because what I find is there's confusion. People know what a police officer is and people wonder, why do we have a sheriff? I mean, counties have sheriffs. We're a city and county combination, so that's an explanation. But um, I, I'm just wondering if you've put much thought into how do we tell the public about what a sheriff department does, how it can augment the place. I mean, you just had a press conference this morning you know, standing with the police chief. So will there be more of that collaboration? Like if you become a sheriff's deputy, uh, it, how is it different than a police officer? Like, I mean, these are probably things you might want to educate the public about. Well, I appreciate that. And I think what we are uh, moving in a direction where we are going to be highlighting ourselves a little more, uh, highlighting the collaborations that we have in public safety, as I mentioned, coming together with the other agencies to come up with a, uh, a recruitment campaign uh, just for public safety, but more importantly, uh, we partner with the community more. Uh, we have a junior deputy program now. There's a 501c3 that has been created um, outside of our agency uh, that helps us to create programs or partner with creating programs and continuing on on some of our youth-focused programs to bring that part of the community in. Our uh, associations have also engaged in uh, recruitment campaigns and putting it out there what deputies do. We do have a social media campaign called Meet the Deputy, where we are highlighting the various jobs and functions that we perform. And uh, to speak to the commander's comments earlier, uh, we didn't put out the dog and pony show. However, I did rappel off of a building in Chinese hospital last year uh, to highlight that, you know, there's a number of different things that you can do in this profession and uh, things that we have that are available that people don't realize that we have. And uh, we do wanna make sure that any campaign is one that reflects everything that we do. Great, thank you. Thank you, Vice Chair and Guardio. Sheriff Miyamoto, don't leave. <laughs> I have a few questions for you. I got you. And then I'll go to Supervisor Dorsey. Um, so regarding the rec recruitment program, I'm wondering how many people are assigned to the recruitment unit. And if you have a specific number, uh, we always talk about how many officers we're short. How many deputies are we short in the Sheriff's Department? Uh, literally, we're short 178 open okay. requisitions right now. Uh, that reflects a 72% staffing level for us. Uh, that includes uh, people that are on short-term or long-term disability. So those numbers, we have, I think, a total of 978 sworn positions, and of that, 178 are unfilled. Okay, thank you for that. One of the reasons why I called for the hearing, um, item number three, on the staffing levels in the sheriff's department is because of the impacts I read about and I heard about anecdotally that they were having on the jails and the programming because I know that you know we've been a, a county that has had incredible programming in our jails to help those that are caught up in the criminal justice system and I know that there are 20 different programs run by the sheriff's department including but not limited to the five five keys charter high school which is amazing the RSVP project that stands for Resolve to Stop the Violence Project started by Sonny Schwartz. And you know, I, I read a book recently called uh, No Visible Bruises by Rachel Louise Snyder about domestic violence. And there was an incredible description of some of the people who went through the RSVP program and just the impact that it has and the, the life-changing nature of that program and 
what it can do for people. And I, I was very impressed by that. Also, you have the law library. Um, and it's my understanding, too, that at one time AA um, and NA meetings were taking place in the jails, which I think is extremely beneficial to those who are suffering from the disease of addiction. So what I'm really trying to get at is to get a better understanding of what do these programs look like today? Are the staffing shortages impacting them? Are they active? How many people in the jail participate in the programs? Um, are they able to participate in person now? I mean, obviously the pandemic really made this difficult for people to come into the jails, obviously. So I know AA and NA meetings had to stop for a while. And you know, basically how are the department staffing levels impacting uh, the facilitation of these incredible programs? I appreciate the question. It has very, uh, a lot of moving parts, let's just say that. I can tell you, uh, to summarize, you mentioned that we have 20 different programs. You're absolutely correct. Uh, they're at varying degrees of participation. Uh, we have had an effort recently within the last few months during this calendar year uh, to open back up, open back up for business. Uh, the effects of the pandemic uh, were very challenging in terms of keeping people separate from each other and not being able to bring them together. The majority of our programs involve bringing people together to share their experiences and move on and develop as, um, as we try our best to bring them together now. Uh, we do have the benefit of, uh, during the pandemic, we developed our tablet program. So our electronic tablets and trying to get a an, an tablet into each person's hands, not just people participating in programs, but everyone collectively. Uh, will give us the ability to bring people together as we all experienced uh, on Teams and Zoom meetings throughout the pandemic, uh, bringing people together that may not be able to come together physically from opposing gangs or opposing uh, groups uh, that we keep separate for safety. Uh, having them come together and sharing their experiences through that tablet program uh, is one step forward in making and creating a space where they can actually come together uh, uh, safely uh, by establishing relationships as we all experienced over the pandemic. Uh, in terms of what we have, we've historically been very challenged in getting the programs supported uh, and funded. Uh, currently, I have 18 uh, rehabilitation coordinators. Those are our 8420s, those are the individuals that manage the programs. We have a number of community-based organizations that come in that assist us in these programs, you mentioned RSVP. Uh, and as you mentioned, the book itself, we experienced that in the RSVP program. We have survivor impact, uh, victim impact, survivor restoration, uh, where we bring people together. That's something that uh, we've had as a longstanding program. Um, our Roads to Recovery program regarding substance and drug uh, addictions uh, has been challenged because obviously, as we focused in other areas, our actual population has changed. Uh, and those programs are all going, but the numbers did go down. Our capacity for them to grow, uh, we already anticipate an increase in that number of participants. So I have the ability right now in pods to have up to 48 people participate in a program. Uh, we have the capability also right now, we have two dorm spaces, which ironically were where we first started these programs, RSVP and Roads to Recovery in these very dorms that we are prepared to reopen, and they have a 60-bed capacity. We have the ability to grow these programs right now to provide people assistance if they are incarcerated. 
Thank you. That that touched on a lot. I did because I did want to ask you about the Rose to Recovery program and whether or not it was still active, and you know, if there are plans to bring it back and how we can help do that. I mean, obviously, you know, we had this press conference earlier today, and we're talking about those who are suffering from the disease of addiction and should they end up in jail because of their criminal activity that, you know, because of the addiction sometimes, people engage in that type of behavior, unfortunately, but sometimes getting them the help they need inside um, jail is has actually had life-changing um, circumstances for a lot of people we know that we talk to. And so we just need to make sure we have the programming in place. And is it a funding mechanism or is it, what what exactly could we help with in that regard? We're very fortunate because we have the infrastructure in place already. We don't okay. have to create anything. We can just activate on what we already have available. Uh, I do know that in our budget process, uh, there are asks, and I do know that there are funding sources uh, with some of the opiate uh, funding that's available now. So I believe that in our budget process, we're asking for those things, uh, and that's where it would be best reflected in terms of support from not just the board, but the city as a whole. Uh, making sure we keep these things funded. And are um, are you allowing AA meetings to be, for people to bring AA meetings into the jails now again, like through AA Central Office, Alcoholics Anonymous, and Narcotics Anonymous? Are they able to come into the jails again now after the pandemic? Yes. Some of the support that we receive from volunteers and outside community-based organizations that aren't contracted with us are NAAA and also faith-based organizations as well that are bringing in uh, their staff uh, to help us uh, provide additional support services for our population. Most of those occur in the evening time because obviously there are other activities and we have our other jail-based programs during the day. So you'll see a lot of the participation reflected in evening uh, offerings. How many deputies would you need uh, to make sure um to, to monitor a meeting like that? Because I had heard that they weren't occurring, uh, well, because of the pandemic then, that it was hard to bring a lot of people together if that we didn't have enough deputies to monitor a meeting. The uh, normal burdens that are on our staff aren't so much in having somebody standing by while they are conducting the meeting. It's more moving people from their housing units into the meeting space. Okay. So that's where the challenge is. We have actual space created, like you mentioned, five keys. Uh, we built a jail around a high school out at San Bruno, um, you know, the foresight, the vision of uh, then-Sheriff Mike Hennessy to create program space, to create educational space and build the jail around that uh, helps us to facilitate that movement and uh, bringing people to those spaces, but it's still a challenge uh, because we are short-staffed. So that's where the numbers would come in to Okay. Help. And that consists of eight classrooms and a law library, correct? Is that yes. yes, okay. And so are you then able are you occupying all that space for the programming now or are they sitting dormant? The Five Keys Charter School is working on a uh, plan to reopen that space during the daytime. The space is available for evening classes. And we also do in pod uh, program service presentations. So you mentioned like RSVP and roads. Each one has a designating housing unit, so they are actually able to do some of the programming in that pod uh, with that population that's in there for okay. the program. And one other program I wanted to ask you about was the One Family Program, and I'm wondering how many participants are there now, and um, are there enough resources to meet the demand of that program as well, the One Family Program? We're very fortunate because we partner with uh, a lot of community-based organizations. I believe currently we're working with Community Works on that, and... Uh, 
I actually firsthand uh, as a captain and as an administrator and operations person in the jails was able to work with staff through the years uh, going way back to the Northern California Service League. So we've had programs that reunite parents with their children while they're incarcerated for a long, long period of time. Our current program with one family, uh, I believe that we had in February, up to February 2022, I think we had up to 26 parents and 37 children in video visits when we were going through the pandemic. Uh, we've recently opened up and we have participants right now that have contact visits with their children. Uh, I don't have the numbers on that, but I do know that that's an ongoing thing. And we usually have families reunite and, and uh, have time together uh, throughout the week, one family at a time. So I can make sure I get those numbers for you and, and make sure you have our up-to-date numbers. Okay, and thank you for that. That would be good to get numbers on all of the programs too to get a better understanding. And back to the RSVP program, because um, I, I just am so moved by the substance of that, especially because of the domestic violence issues. And you know, so many times, in domestic violence in the field, and most of the time, with my experience at least, you know, it has been you know women that are abused or the or the victim of whoever it is, you know, often people always ask the question of the victim, or why didn't she leave, or why why are you still staying, and the emphasis is never on why didn't they stop the abuse, you know, and the RSVP program is a program that really gets to that. So I, I just want to make sure that we are doing everything we can to increase participation in that program. And I did have a question about whether or not um, the program is led by an instructor at this point, or is it self-directed, like on the, on the, you mentioned the iPads, is it virtual? I feel like it's a program that needs that touch of an in-person instructor based on you know what I've read and just from being a prosecutor to doing policy around it to having um, experience with it um, in other regards that it is when you look at domestic violence and the causation of you know domestic violence causes so many destructive things in our society and if we can put an emphasis on a program like this that has proven outcomes based on participant testimony that we should be pouring resources into it. And I, I just want to make sure that I continue to emphasize it because I believe in it so much. And if you could just give me a little bit more color around what the participation rates are like, what we're doing to prop up that program and who is teaching it. So the RSVP program is managed by one of our rehabilitation service coordinators, our 8420s. We actually have that as an in-house managed program. Uh, so our own staff uh, are responsible and own the program itself in terms of presentations and guidance for the participants. Uh, we have a challenge in terms of making sure we cover everyone because people don't realize we have a lot of victims in jail. People sometimes feel that they're the individuals who are the primary aggressors uh, in some of these cases or the defendants in criminal matters. Uh, a lot of people are victims themselves that are incarcerated. So it's a balancing act and that's why we do this internally uh, because our, our 8420s, our rehabilitation coordinators are the ones who actually have their finger on the pulse of our population. Um, I'm very fortunate because we have a number of those individuals who have a level of experience and knowledge and familiarity with our population, which helps us 
to bridge some of the gaps in getting buy-in from participants. Um, one of our current challenges, though, is also bridging the gender gap because we do have individuals uh, in uh, our different populations that we can't bring together. We don't bring together men and women right now in the RSVP program, but we want to make sure that there's participation. You know, so that's one of the challenges. And we have a coordinator at our facility, our women's facility downtown, um, for programs, and we have our RSVP coordinator out at San Bruno. So I think where we could maybe get some support in the near future supervisor is going to be where once we have a plan in place to kind of bridge that, whether it comes to either staffing or um, technology or any way to bridge it um, in terms of movement, uh, that's where we will be asking for some assistance. Thank you, and I really appreciate you mentioning having victims of abuse in jail as well because that is a part of uh, domestic violence. And I, I want to follow up on that to make sure that we're coordinating as we build up the Office of Victim and Witness Rights that was passed because of Prop D last June and that right to free legal counsel for domestic violence victims is definitely something that I think that office um, will need to coordinate with your office on to make sure that we are providing services to those that um, need not just criminal, you know, not, people that are not just going through the criminal justice system because of the domestic violence issues, but a lot of time it's the legal, the civil legal issues that people need help with in terms of financial abuse and custody and all, all of that. So I, I just want to make sure going forward that the sheriff's office knows that that is a program that's in place for victims of domestic violence. And once we get through this budget, we'll be up and running. So we can stay clear on that. One more question, then I'm going to turn it over to Supervisor Dorsey. And um, there was an article about the staffing levels in the jails also impacting uh, recreation time for I the inmates. And I'm just wondering, um, how, you know, I just want to give you an opportunity to respond. They made it sound like they were in their cells the entire day, maybe one hour um, of recreation time, if that. I I'm just wondering um, if you can touch on that a little bit more. Certainly, we're required by Title 15, one of the state regulations uh, that we have on uh, people who are incarcerated. They have certain rights, and one of the rights is the right to recreation or access to recreational areas. Uh, they are required to have at least uh, three hours every week, so we have schedules in the jails for that. It's easier out at San Bruno because the actual recreation areas are inside of the pods themselves. So a lot of their out-of-cell time also counts as that recreation time. Downtown at County Jail 2, uh, 425 7th Street, it's a little more challenging because we have an actual uh, recreation area that we have to bring the population to. So there's a schedule and a coordination. I think that article that you referenced uh, outlined the impacts of short staffing in regards to being able to get people up to the recreation area. and. Uh, We've been fortunate, as I mentioned earlier, because we are hiring people, so we are getting more people into the jails, and our impacts are not as significant as they were in the time of the article. Uh, and we also are, right now, this week, going through a BSCC inspection. That's the Board of State Community Corrections, who actually look to auditing our compliance with Title 15. So I do know that the state is actually looking at our records now, and it hasn't been brought to my attention that there's a significant deficiency at this time. Okay, thank you for that. And um, just one more thing again, because you know we were at the press conference earlier today and there's a lot of talk about how we're going to um, address the fentanyl crisis and those suffering from the disease of addiction. And if we have more um, people that we are arresting and 
um, are, who are now incarcerated because of their behavior um, while under the influence of whatever um, drug is their choice, um, if they end up incarcerated, I just want to make sure that we are delivering on our promise to provide them the rehabilita rehabilitative care that they need. And with RSVP, Rose to Recovery, um, Five Keys, these are such incredible programs that San Francisco can really be proud of. And I, I just want to make sure that we have the resources in place to provide every single person who wants help, who happens to end up incarcerated because of their addiction. Um, again, not incarcerating people because they have the disease of addiction. It's resulting in behavior because of the addiction. If someone's driving drunk, that is a crime, or if someone's committing a crime under the influence of methamphetamine, that, you know, whatever it is, you know, this is not punishing people because they have the disease of addiction, but a lot of people do end up in our jails because of behavior. And I just really want to make sure that if we are arresting dealers and people um, that are using on the sidewalks, that we are making good on our promise that we are going to have the help necessary for them when they reach our jails. And I know you care about this, and it's just we have to do our part here during the budget season, and I just want to make sure that we are aware of the staffing levels, of any budget constraints, of any physical um, limitations on providing that space, so that we know at all times that, yes, if people are coming to our jails because they are suffering from the disease of addiction and their behavior got them there, that we have the ability to help them once they get there. I can, I can say unequivocally regardless of whether or not it appears as a budget line item or whether it is something that's discussed either publicly or in the chambers, uh, our department is absolutely 100% committed to making sure these programs are successful and supported. So whether or not that support comes from the outside, rest assured that the support internally is already there. Um, to paint the picture properly, as you mentioned earlier when we had the press conference, uh, we have a lot of people that hit rock bottom, and part of that is considering jail rock bottom. What people don't know, and I think this maybe speaks to something that Supervisor Ingardio mentioned earlier in terms of getting our message out there. Um, as I've reassured you right now, our programs are ready to go. We just don't have participants because we haven't looked at this particular population as somebody that we want to keep in jail or to keep incarcerated. We have so many services and programs and opportunities outside of jail. And our focus has always been on that. Um, the jails are a very sober environment. We do our best to keep it that way. And they provide people an opportunity to have a different path to get better for themselves, to stop hurting themselves. And uh, we've always been that. We've always been that kind of environment in the jail. and. I appreciate that uh, we will have support, that we will have the support from the community, from you and the board and uh, from the city financially. But at the end of the day, our staff are geared for this. We've been doing this for years. Uh, we anticipate, you know, we don't keep people in jail. So we don't have the ability to continue the programs. Uh, they're very transitory and we are met with challenges because we have great opportunities for people, but we are also not a part of the decision-making process on whether or not somebody stays in our custody. So that's one of our other challenges, and one of the things that I've experienced personally in our programs is that we have people that are on the right path, 
and they've been doing well. And because they've been doing well, um, we released them from custody. And then, uh, unfortunately, they repeat the behavior uh, without completely finishing. We've had so many successes that I, I hope to continue to communicate and get the message out uh, that we're ready, that we've had successes, and that this is one of the many prongs that we should have in approaching the challenges we have currently out there on the streets. Great. Thank you so much. And I will turn it over to Supervisor Dorsey. Thank you, Sheriff. Thank you, Chair Stephanie. I did. I just want. I want to express uh, my appreciation for your leadership that was announced today and everything that you're doing. There was. Um, there is something that I have seen and heard play out over the years when it comes to recruiting, um, both in the sheriff's department and the police department, um, about the uh, amount of time that it can take. And I know the DHR is here, and I want to. So, but since you're here, I will just ask this. Um, it's, it's my understanding that um, the time that it takes San Francisco compared to other jurisdictions between when somebody is, applies or is hired to actually getting, coming aboard um, is long. And, and can, I've, I've also heard that some of the inefficiencies in time, they're improving. And I will say that uh, one thing that I always want to make sure that I do as a member of the Board of Supervisors, because I've spent a lot of time in this building hearing, at, watching hearings where the, the right question isn't asked and it, the right question should be, what can the Board of Supervisors and people in this building do to set our city departments up for success to address the problems that we're concerned about? So that's one of the things that I wanna ask you about. But So it's a two-part question. One is, uh, I invite you to talk about any challenges or inefficiencies to the hiring process in terms of background checks, um, and then what can we do as a city to improve that? And I would love to hear from you, and then also DHR and also SFPD on that. I could speak to our experiences, and uh, I want to start uh, with the recognition and the acknowledgement that uh, DHR and the city uh, have voiced their support for changes to the process, uh, voiced voice support for uh, improving the process um, from City Administrator Carmen Chu uh, in our, one of our recent department head meetings uh, to the everyday interactions with DHR staff. We do know that there are efforts in place to try to streamline the process. Our experience as a law enforcement agency, because we have a background process, uh, is unique. Uh, both the police department and us have a longer process in the overall civil service process because of that. I have 97 backgrounds right now um, that we are vetting. Uh, and once we do that, if we do hire, then that starts the actual civil service process on, on processing. So that's where some of the delays happen uh, that are unavoidable. And we do appreciate the efforts currently by the city to change that and streamline that somewhat. Uh, where the board can maybe help is sometimes there are considerations given to what we look at and what we want to see in candidates, sometimes there are unfunded uh, mandates in terms of you know uh, making sure. Uh, I know that uh, one area of concern, which I was very happy to be a part of in terms of the development in our own agency, uh, when we worked with the Office of Racial Equity on ensuring that some of the things and the work that we do with the Civil Rights Commission in terms of the hiring processes and making sure that we address uh, concerns, uh, sometimes those go unfunded and you know, are pushed back down to the agencies, departments uh, to do something. 
without the resources uh, funded. And they become collateral duty assignments or they become something that becomes challenging for us as department heads to meet the mandates on. So that would be one area I think that we could use some help uh, when we look at these things in the future. And could I invite uh, yeah, SFPD and then also DHR? Thank you. Um, so we have been working very closely with DHR for a very long time. And the police department meets quarterly with them just to talk about things that we're seeing, trends. Um, we'll discuss disparities when we see them in the hiring process, discuss how we can break down those barriers for people. Um, but the, the work that we have done with DHR in the last year to 18 months is incredible. We are basically dismantling this process step by step to try to figure out how we can be more efficient. Um, the controller's office is currently helping us with that, um, coming in from an outside perspective and looking at it with fresh eyes. So I have to say that um, we have done a lot of changing in collaboration with DHR in the last uh, few years, but like I said, most specifically in the last 18 months to one year. Um, we've tried to close the gap on how long it takes in our process as well. Um, one thing that we've done as the police department is we're doing some one-day testing events. So there are three components in our hiring process after the initial application. We have a physical ability test. We have the oral interview and a written test that all must be completed. And the police department is offering all of those tests in one day. And if all tests are successfully passed in that one day, that shaves at least three months off the hiring process. So we're closing the gap from six months to three months. And again, when people don't pass, um, then we throw all of the resources at them. So you name it, we, will, we have people who will do one-on-one -on -one training with you. We are doing written test preparation. Um, we are doing mock oral interviews. We are offering the first ever NTN written test um, tutorial session of any law enforcement agency in the country and that's gonna be on Saturday. Um, but I have to say that um, DHR has been very, very responsive to any of the concerns that we've had. We've worked together with them very successfully, and it's also been really helpful to have that outside perspective from the controller's office to help move us forward. Right. Thanks so much, and I, could I, it would be okay if to invite uh, DHR up. And I, did, I do want to, this is something, as I mentioned, I, I, I have heard that there's a lot of inefficiencies over the years, and I have, but I have also heard recently that there is some great work that Director Eisen and uh, Mawili Tangbenyo and others are, are doing with our city department, so I want to express my gratitude to you. Um, if, if there are, and look, to the extent that there are um, inefficiencies or delays, and I know that that's probably gonna go along with any jurisdiction and its hiring of law enforcement personnel. In years past, what I have heard is that San Francisco is sort of disproportionate in that, and that, we're losing, that we might be losing some good candidates because they have offers from another jurisdiction. I know, you know, when I was, um, you know, I served as a, a civilian member of the police department command staff, and I was surpri you know, surprised how long it took for my background check, and that, it occurs to me that may say more about my background than the process. But uh, the, the, uh, if there is anything that we can, we can um, do as a city to support the work that DHR is doing, that is something that we're putting into this resolution to you know, urge the the, to continue the collaborative efforts. But the reason we wanted to write it that way was to make sure that we're giving credit where credit is due for the work that's been done. But I guess I wanted to just ask um, if, if you have thoughts on some of the efficiencies, how we're addressing those, and what we can do is 
members of the Board of Supervisors to better support your department in its continued work. Thank you, Supervisor, um, fellow members of the Board. We appreciate being here this morning. Um, this is, my name is Artis Graham. I'm the Employee Relations Director for the Department of Human Resources. So I'll, I'll answer, I'll sort of speak at a high level of, of what the department has been doing in order to expedite hiring throughout the city, not only in the law enforcement and the public safety ranks, but just throughout the city. And then I'll let my colleague, Dave Johnson, who uh, works directly in that unit, kind of speak to the details as it pertains to law enforcement specifically. Um, so broadly speaking, the, the Department of Human Resources has been working with the Civil Service Commission to update the rules in such a way that it will allow for expedited hiring and a number of classifications throughout the city where we see um, extraordinary shortages or uh, positions that are difficult to fill. And so we have been meeting and, meeting and conferring with the unions on an ongoing basis in order to do that, in part from some of the successes that we've seen in the law enforcement side. Um, also, um, we believe that this will help make the process more efficient and we'll be able to expedite the, the hiring again for civilians such as yourself who want to support the police department um, as well as law enforcement, um, you know, continuing to hire those folks faster as well. Dave, can you speak to the specifics? Good morning, Supervisors. Dave Johnson, Assistant Director of Recruitment and Assessment at Department of Human Resources. Um, I've been affiliated with Public Safety in San Francisco since 1990. Uh, in 2013, we moved from uh, a discrete list every two to four years to continuous testing. And Commander Jones alluded to National Testing Network. We collaborated with Zergometrics at the time became National Testing Network to offer continuous testing. And as a consequence of the pandemic, um, NTN pivoted very quickly to virtual testing. So we now take advantage of that. So then someone wakes up in the morning and says, hey, I want to be a police officer. I want to be a firefighter. I want to be a sheriff's deputy. They can go online, apply, and in two hours take the test. So, and then the adjustments that we made further, especially with regard to police, we used to do every month we would do the physical ability test process those people, the people that passed will be scheduled for the oral examination the following month. Now they both happen in the same day. Uh, Commander Jones mentioned they offer the test, oral and PAT on the same day. We at least do the test and then we bring them in for one day oral and PAT. And another thing I want to mention is that we've collaborated with them to provide the names of the applicants proactively so that they're in touch with people. They, their recruiters reach out, they contact the people. Used to be you submit your application, you wait six to eight weeks before you get your test schedule. You take your test, you wait a month or so to get the physical ability test, a month or so to take the oral interview with no communication whatsoever except an email every now and again. We recognize that if we're gonna keep these people engaged with the city of San Francisco, we need constant communication. So we collaborate with their recruitment units to say, okay, we're handing it over to you as we go, as opposed to waiting until they're on the eligible list and available for hire. Could I just follow up on that? Uh, I know that, uh, you know, obviously when we're talking about law enforcement staffing um, and, and considering that the, the process that goes into that, that's part of your department as well, 
one part of this that we may not talk about, and maybe it's not a problem, but I want to invite you to share the, if it is. is. Are there understaffing challenges your department is facing that is slowing the process down? Is that, and is that something that we as policymakers need to include in this conversation? Uh, I'm aware that in the, in the budget submission, I think that my director is asking for a number of 1241 human resources analysts. Uh, right now we have one 1241 and then a bunch of 1244s and 1246s, which is human resources analyst, senior human resources analyst, and principal human resources analyst. We don't have enough people for the lower level work. So we're taking our senior human resources analysts, which are journey level experts in the field, they're spending a lot of time doing nominal work because we don't have that lower level. And I am aware that that's one of the things in this next budget that my director is requesting. Is there, and this may, I may be asking for something that's already been produced, but is there a, a number of how short-staffed and how that short-staffing results in delay, or any, anything that we need to be considering when we're looking at the broader issue of uh, law enforcement recruiting and hiring um, I just want to make sure that we're not leaving out a con an important constituent element of this in your department. Um, I, I've, seen, I've seen the draft of the submission. I don't know where it is in the process. Okay. I'll be interested to look at it. Okay. Thank you so much. I really appreciate Thank it. Thank you. Thank you, Supervisor Dorsey. And I just have um, two questions for Acting Deputy Chief Jones, if I can... With regard to the staffing shortages at the San Francisco Police Department, I'm wondering if there are any um, types of technology improvements that we can make to reduce the need for staffing or um, alleviate the administrative burden. Is there anything that we could be doing to invest in technology to help with that? I think there's definitely things that can be done, and I think we need to be forward thinking about this. Like, how do we triage calls and for calls that sit on the board for a long time? Is there technology that can be brought in to help us, you know, mitigate that? I mean, we haven't had major discussions about that that I've been involved in so far, but um, technology is going to leverage some of the work that needs to be done by hand right now. So any systems improvements that we can get, like we're, I know that we're in the process of um, updating our human resources management system, but there's a lot of projects going on. Just, um, I think another important component, aside from technology that we need to discuss is civilianization to some extent, and how do we get more professional staff into our department to alleviate some of the burdens and responsibilities that our sworn are having to do right now because there just isn't anybody else. And that is one thing when you talk about support. Um, I think when we think about what the police department needs in terms of staffing, we really focus on sworn, and we should, but we can't negate the need for professional staff either. And I know that things are really tight, but there's a lot that could lessen the workload for sworn and allow us to redeploy people back out to the streets. Um, in terms of technology, just um, being able to manage all of, because right now I, I don't think it's a secret that we're using a, a lot of overtime to make up for the deficit. And the management of that overtime is incredibly complex and difficult. And right now, we don't have the technological infrastructure to do that. So there are resources out there. You know, we don't have funding to bring them on board at this point. But that would, again, allow for more seamless deployment and 
I could talk about this all day, supervisors, <laughs> you know. Well, this won't but, be the end of the conversation, trust yes. me. So. so those are some high-level things, but I do think that with the technology, we also have to recognize that there's professional staff support that we need because right now when the police department has to get things done, we use the resources we have available, um, and we don't really have any resources available right now for all of the things. Um, so we're doing our best with what we have to work with. And we will continue to do that. Our number one priority is always going to be public safety and handling calls for service. Um, but there's a lot of other important initiatives that the department is working on, reform related and otherwise, that we need to focus on as well. Great, thank you. And we will definitely follow up on that. And obviously, this has been an ongoing discussion. And I know you've been working on it. Um, one other th thing I wanted to ask was, um, in terms, obviously, we've all recognized, too, that we ask our police officers to do a lot of things that um, you shouldn't have to do, or um, play social worker, or go to you know calls that typically don't require a police officer, an armed officer, to show up. And so we have invested in alternative response teams. And I'm wondering if there's anyone that's really looking at um, what the impact those teams have had on how we divert our police officers to you know through the priority ABC calls or whatever the calls that are coming in through um, the 911 system and whether or not they are alleviating the burden uh, as intended. Is, is there anyone in the police department that's actually evaluating that? Because I, I still hear, hear anecdotally from different people, whether it's in the fire department, that sometimes what's intended for to be a call where there is no officer involved, sometimes the officer gets called anyway because it is violent or there or it is a situation where they do want police backup. So I'm just wondering how we're evaluating that. If, there's anything being done in the police department in your over, you know, I know you're overly burdened anyway, but I'm just wondering whether or not that's being looked at. Yes. So we, the police department actually participated in a project also with the controller's office on really evaluating priority C calls and how much time they're taking and in what buckets that they're falling into. I think the most notable example that people turn to is skirt, um, is the fire department's response team. And I know they did a lot of work on looking at the calls for service there. And I think that they are, the skirt team is alleviating workload from the police department to a great extent. I don't think it's alleviating all of it from what I know, but I know that there's work that's been done out there specifically related to it because the police department has been really focused on, I mean, our numbers are, uh, we, we're 570 officers short. So that is a huge deficit. So how do we look at this differently? And we know that it's going to take us a really long time to bridge that gap, especially with the attrition that's coming with retirements that Supervisor Dorsey spoke to earlier. Um, so we're looking at not only uh, the skirt team, but what other potential calls to your point, Supervisor Stephanie, like that maybe don't require a police response that could be funneled out to other agencies. I think we're probably a few years away from, you know, from getting there, but I think we continue to have that conversation because we have to. And we're also looking at leveraging other different kinds of employees in the police department, like police service aides, our PSAs, to maybe do responses to get to some of those C priority calls that maybe our officers can't get to as quickly because of other higher priority calls. And how do those PSAs take those reports? Because most of the people who are calling the police department, you know, a lot of the calls are C priorities and they want their calls to be answered and they want them to be answered quicker than we're getting there. So I think that 
really when Matrix Consulting came in to do their analysis of the police department, they did say that um, response times in relation to priority C calls is really an indicator of staffing issues, right? And we continue to see that play out. We're trying to manage the best we can and provide the services that people want, but I'm not afraid to ask for help, so. Great, <laughs> thank point. you so much, it's You're very welcome. helpful. Uh, Supervisor Dorsey. Yeah, there's one. There's one final thing, and mostly this is just a comment. You can go ahead and sit okay. down. Thank you so much. You. I did want to. Um, it, it has come up a couple of times today, and I just wanted to um, express how important it is the work that the um, that the sheriff's department is doing um, with the staggering loss of life that we are seeing in this city due to drug overdose deaths. Um, I want to especially uh, Ken Lomba is here from the Deputy Sheriff's Association, and I want to appreciate all the members of uh, your organization for the work that they're doing. We did have, a, as uh, Chair Stephanie mentioned, we had a, a uh, press conference today that talked about that. Um, Sam Quinones is a Los Angeles-based uh, journalist who has written a number of books on this topic. One of them is called The Least of Us, and it's a, a history of why we got where we are because of drugs like fentanyl and methamphetamine and what it is doing to American cities today. Um, I would urge people to get uh, or re try to find a, an Atlantic magazine because there's a feature story that Sam Quinones wrote um, this month in there. It's, it's t entitled that America's approach to addiction has gone off the rails. In a time of fentanyl and meth, we need to use law enforcement differently and more often. And there is a line in it that spoke to me that said, I believe, and by the way, I've met Sam and I think he's, he's, he is a, a, an astute and well-informed chronicler of what we're seeing now, not just in San Francisco, but around this country and around the world. He said, I believe we need to move to an approach that both the left and right may find uncomfortable. We need to use arrests and the threat of confinement to break the hold of addiction. We also need to transform jail and change what it means for people with a drug, a drug addiction to be in jail. And I think uh, Sheriff Miyamoto today spoke powerfully that this is not something that needs to be seen as punitive. When we're dealing with something as potently addictive and deadly as fentanyl, this is life-saving work. And I just want to express my appreciation to your department and to the members of the San Francisco Police Department and to the Department of Human Resources for the work they're doing to support those agencies. Thank you, Supervisor Dorsey, very well said. You are saving lives out there. Thank you for that. We are very uh, grateful. And I want to, uh, I think, open it up for public comment at this point. Thank you, Madam Chair. Are there any members of the public who would like to speak on items three and four? Please approach the podium and line up to your right near the curtains. You'll have two minutes. Those joining us online, please press star three. If you have not done so already, you'll hear the system indicate that you have raised your hand. And when it's your time to speak, you'll hear the system indicate that you have been unmuted. Uh, thank you, uh, Chair uh, Stefani. Uh, Dorsey and, and Guardio. Good morning. Good morning to the command staff, the police department, and sheriffs. Um, it's a, an enlightening uh, discussion here today. Um, very um, interesting. My, uh, backra my background check uh, took about 10 months to complete, and um, I had to keep calling my lieutenant, sheriff's department. I'd say, hey, hello, where, what, what's going on? I need to get hired. She said, we need a requisition from DHR to get you on board. 
And I said, how long is that going to take? She said, we don't know. But it was a long time. It was over 10 months. I was, I was at Berkeley at the time. And I finally got hired. I got hired. Uh, I was a cadet. Uh, worked at DHR and stuff like that. So what I want to tell you with regard to um, the hiring process is streamline it. We, we, we got to go ahead and, and just fast track those applications, especially if you see a guy every day and you know him and he's here and he's around and he's, um, you know, he's, he's someone he, he's from the city. He, he's, he went to school here, high school here, whatever. Um, those guys need to get streamlined really fast into the department, get them hired, get them situated. If you're coming from somewhere else, let's say another state, another, another, another county, Maybe that's you know something that can take a little bit longer. But if you're from San Francisco, you grew up here, you went to high school here, you, you know, did all those things here, you need to get fast tracked. And you get the, you get, the, you get those vacancies filled up real fast. So uh, what a, a additional thing I want to say is uh, the budget is looking great, and we're going to add some more police officers, which is great. Um, it's going to take a load off, um, but we, we want to see um, the process streamlined. We want to see it fast-tracked, we want to see more people, we want to see more hires, we, we, we want to, you know, make the, alleviate that burden from the department, okay? So let's do that. Thank you. Thank you so much for your comments. Next speaker, please. Oh, thank you. Um, I'm Ken Lomba, the Deputy Sheriff's Association President, and I want to thank the last speaker. He brought up some great points and maybe kind of rethink what I wanted to say a little bit. Um, you know, today you heard from, you know, a lot of department leaders the department leaders are employees, you know, and they do a great job and they spoke, you know, really well. But also just keep in mind, you know, maybe you're not getting everything, you know, from them since they are, you know, representatives of their department. Um, last speaker brings up a good point, uh, testing time. You know, it needs to speed up. You know, why is it so slow? You know, what's going on with DHR? Why are things so slow with this process? And, you know, what I've seen in my experience um, over about, ooh, I have about 26 years um, experience in law enforcement, you know, close to about 17 years in the Sheriff's Department. But I always see that we're treated a little bit different, the Sheriff's Department. We're not really treated as equals or the same way from the city, from the mayor's office, from DHR. And I think that needs to change. And I really want to thank you, know, you all for you know, being part of that change and treating us, you know, equally, you know, with what you're, what you're presenting and you truly um, talk the talk and walk the walk. And um, we, we definitely support you for that. Um, the hiring process does need to speed up. The background process does need to speed up. We need to hire um, outside services to assist with the background process to speed that up. Other agencies do that. We should do it as well. No one should be waiting 10 months. No one should be waiting six months. They got to shrink that, that down to about a four-month, three-month to four-month process. That's what other agencies are doing. You know, applications in, testing processes rolling. They're getting um, hiring notifications within three to four months. For us, it's like six months or longer, and that's where we're losing people. They're going to other agencies. In San Francisco, um, there is... Thank you so is... much for your comments. I apologize your time is left. Okay. All right. Well, thank you. And are there any other members that would like to speak on items three and four in the chambers? Seeing none, we will move to our remote call-in line. We have three listeners with three in the queue. Let's take the first caller, please. You have two minutes. So, supervisors, I was listening to you all muddy the waters. Let's talk about the sheriff's department. The first thing 
that we need is a new jail. We cannot do the stuffing in a jail that is so old with uh, raw sewage running all over the place. So if you want to have some change, let's get a new jail. Or let's transfer some of the activities of the jail downtown. That's how you got to act. Don't muddy the waters. You'll ask too many questions. None of them are relevant. Take most of your questions offline. Now, talking about the police department, you know, there are about uh, 600 shots. In another eight months, we'll have a force of 800 police officers. What are you going to do about that? So your supervisors do not use this time to just throw arrows in the air. It's not going to do any good. You have a solution, you have the resources, you have the dinero, yes, you talk. Otherwise, shut your mouth. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for your comments. Let's take the next speaker. Uh, thank you for taking my comments. My name is Yolanda Huang, and I am an attorney. I have clients in San Francisco County Jail. My perspective is different than what you've heard today. And what I'm seeing is that people are being held in San Francisco County Jail long-term, and they're being, um, in, they are, the result is that they are having great deterioration in mental health, they are having great deterioration in their cognitive abilities, and many of them are developing chronic illnesses. One of the reasons is the staffing shortage. And from my research, it seems that the staffing shortage has been exasperated by Sheriff Miyamoto's policies of moving deputies out of custody into other positions, ending certain custody positions, and fully staffing administration, which I don't understand if custody is supposed to be a core responsibility, why custody is being eliminated. And that does lead to lockdown, so that people are being locked down in their cells because they don't have the staff to let them out. And the studies show that one of the greatest harms that people endure in jail is excessive lockdown, that that is a form of solitary confinement. For almost two years, the people in, in San Bruno were held 23 to 40 hours a day in their cells because the sheriff's office couldn't think around the system and it was just easy for them to lock people down. And now you have people who are seriously, seriously hurt. If you think about people on the outside having psychological damage, you can imagine what it would have been like to have spent 20 months in an eight by 10 cell with another person where if you wanted to do a push-up, your face was next to your toilet. So I think that um, there needs to be checks and balances. Uh, I would disagree with many of the things that Sheriff Miyamoto says. I don't have time to go into the details. I think that one of the reasons why recruitment is difficult Thank you so much. is because- your time has lapsed. I apologize if I have to cut you off. We are setting the time for two minutes. Let's take the next caller, please. I just wanted to call and uh, talk about the sheriff's office and support uh, Paul Miyamoto. Um, I do believe what the other caller was saying is correct. We need a new justice center built on rehabilitation. The sheriff's department's always been about rehabilitation and programs. 
as well as using uh, diverting out people into programs like the Lancy Street. I think that needs to come back. I think we need to fully fund uh, the staffing there because there is a shortage as the past caller was saying. And we need to retain the veteran staff, which a high percentage is eligible for retirement. And I believe that President Lumba has addressed that the police department and the fire department received retention bonuses to keep their staff. And I believe that should have been offered to the sheriff's deputies as well. There's people that are being overworked and you're gonna have about 100 people that are retirement eligible leave. So how do you keep them there is you offer the retention. If you offer the retention, they could stay. And in the meantime, you could fill academies up with new hires to replace with attrition. So I just wanted to bring those concerns up and I appreciate the Board of Supervisors looking out into all this. I'm a San Francisco native. You know, my mom's 89 years old. She's in fear of going out of her house, you know, with all this uh, crime going on that's unreported. Home invasions are going into the neighborhoods, drug use all over the streets, needles everywhere. You know, it's not working. This catch and release program is not working and it's very frustrating. I mean, people are at work right now. We can't jump on Thank these you so calls. Thank you so much for your comments. And you have uh, Madam Chair, that completes the queue. Thank you, Madam Clerk. Anybody else in chambers that would like to comment? Hello, my name is Ryan Tackett. I am a uh, Master's of Social Work student, and I'm here visiting today to observe the proceedings, so thank you for welcoming me. Um, I just wanted to um, say as I listened in on the conversation that um, I was actually really encouraged as we we're uh, having the conversation around recruitment and staffing needs um, to hear about the alternative response units. Um, coming from my background and my passion um, toward helping uh, disadvantaged people in our community, um, I, I often struggle with um, how to uh, participate in the forward uh, motion of our society as a whole and um, how that connects with uh, local law enforcement. But uh, what I would say is uh, prior to getting into social work, my background was also in recruiting. And uh, one of the things that I'm processing is um, how uh, the message of what the, re the remit of lo local law enforcement actually could be and how that's promoted uh, to the public itself. Um, I, I do believe that there are uh, roles for uh, public service, for professional services, and um, adjacent uh, service members to come alongside local law enforcement. And if those roles were actually promoted and put forward as a part of the collective uh, law enforcement agenda, um, it may be that um, a generation such as mine that is um, interested in public service and um, public consciousness um, actually might see a vision and a future um, for where they fit into the larger, um, the larger system. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for your comments. Are there any other members that would like to speak 
in the chamber room on item number three and four. Thank you, Madam Clerk. Seeing none, public comment is now closed. Do my colleagues have any final closing thoughts or remarks? Supervisor Dorsey. I just want to make sure that the last uh, commenter gets an application to be a member of the San Francisco Police Department or San Francisco Sheriff. Okay, we're on it. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you, Supervisor Dorsey. You know, I want to thank all those who did call in for public comment. Um, and if you have any experiences that you would like to share with my office, I know the second caller, we didn't get to hear the end of her remarks in terms of what she experiences. You know, please feel free to follow up with my office and let me know. It, it's something I care deeply about. I, uh, I am going to make a motion actually on item three, which is the hearing I called for on the Sheriff's Department staffing levels to continue it to the call of the chair because I believe I, I need more information um, and I will probably follow up with a pointed um, letter of inquiry just to go over um, some of the questions that I would like answers to on paper uh, to determine whether or not we're doing what we need to be doing as a legislative body uh, to ensure that if people are incarcerated, they have access to programs that are going to help them change their lives and reduce recidivism on um, our streets and really uh, contribute to the overall public safety of the city and county of San Francisco. So I will uh, make that motion um, on item three to continue it to the call of the chair. And on the motion moved by Supervisor Stephanie to continue con to the call of the chair for item number three, Supervisor Dorsey. Dorsey, aye. Supervisor Engardio. Engardio, aye. Supervisor Stephanie. Aye. Stephanie, aye. You have three ayes. Thank you, Madam Clerk. And Supervisor Dorsey, on item four, I believe amendments uh, have been made. And if we can take those amendments, Madam Clerk. And on the motion as stated by Supervisor Dorsey for the amendments on item number four, Supervisor Dorsey. Dorsey, aye. Supervisor Engardio. Aye. Engardio, aye. Supervisor Stephanie. Aye. Stephanie, aye. You have three ayes. Great. Would you like to make a motion? And I would like to make a motion as amended to forward the resolution to the full board. And, the and on that motion to recommend as amended for item number four, Supervisor Dorsey. Aye. Dorsey, aye. Supervisor Engardio. Aye. Engardio, aye. Supervisor Stephanie. Aye. And I just want to make sure that was with positive recommendation. Yes. With okay. a positive recommendation Great. noted. Uh, Stephanie, aye. You have three ayes. Thank you, Madam Clerk. Uh, do we have any other items before us today? That completes the business for today. Thank you. We are adjourned.